On this episode of Get in the Flow, we're going to talk about building a brand that will last you well into 2021 and beyond. There's a lot we can cover when talking about building a brand because, as you know, we do business online and offline. But this year, we've seen through COVID and all the situations that have been happening with everything from getting together with friends, uh, different ordinances all around the country. People are having to work and live and play kind of in a different way now. And a lot of people feel that this new normal may continue on for months, if not years to come. And as much as none of us know really what's going to happen, we can think about that in a strategic way. And I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, I didn't really have a thought in mind of angling this towards the COVID slant, because really, if you set your brand up well, it doesn't matter whether there's COVID happening or any other kind of situation going on in the world. A well thought out brand will stand the test of time. Think about Tiffany Blue and the Tiffany brand. Uh, anytime anybody talks about Tiffany, you think of that powder blue color and they have had that branding for decades. So we may not touch on every single point today since I want to make sure we keep these to around 30 minutes, but we are going to talk about what is a brand, creating a brand strategy, putting your brand into action, monitoring your brand and measuring your brand. So a lot of these, of course, all these elements tie into each other. I'm just going to go over them very briefly so that you understand the elements of it and why. So if you've had a business over the past 10 years, you'll really, this will really resonate with you, I think, because it's been kind of a roller coaster ride. I remember when Facebook first came out and I was working in social media management uh, for a couple of different, for my, I was in the Army Reserve at the time. And I was doing, I was asked to set up an, uh, an account for social media for my Army Reserve. So I had Kaylin with my unit name, I think 3rd Infantry Division I was in at the time, and they wanted me to set up 3rd ID Kaylin or some kind of a name like that so that I could differentiate myself from my personal accounts because this was all new at the time. So even when you looked at big brands, like I remember Target used to have their employees have like Bob at Target was their handle on Twitter or things of that nature. And people really didn't think much at the time about where social media was headed. They were just trying to figure out how to function on social media, keep their brand integrity. And the biggest fear at the time, honestly, was people getting out of control, saying and doing things that would negatively affect the brand that they've spent decades and years building. And so I remember my civilian job at the time that I was in the reserve, in the Army Reserve, I was working for um, a large corporation in San Diego. And I remember them having me use my name in the handle there as well. But it was very interesting how they wanted to interact with people online and, and really how fearful they were of somebody doing and saying something wrong. And I'll never forget there were a team of lawyers, probably six or seven lawyers that had to review our strategy. And we had to actually have a meeting where we convinced them and we persuaded them to allow us to do this because we wanted to be one of the first large corporations to engage on social media. So of course we started blogging, 
We had topics um, from all the departments. There were 16 departments and we had all the department heads come in and we had these big brainstorming meetings and every department had to submit their content ideas. So if the merchandising department had an idea, the sales team, um, who else did we have? I mean, literally everything, the people who planned out the details of how the physical locations were going to look, everybody. It was all hands on deck for this strategy that we were putting together. And it took us about two or three months to put together a strategy that everybody could approve. And the lawyers had to look at it and approve it. And they were monitoring things daily. Now, fast forward, and that was 2008 when that all happened. And so now look at us, we're in 2020. Um, we have the election that just happened, which was a huge thing. I mean, obviously, as I'm recording this right now, it's only two days after the election day. And social media has played a massive role because not only are brands using it, uh, newscasters are using it, all different news outlets. They have their own pages, their own channels, different newscaster personalities. They have their own pages. A lot of people have a personal page for just close friends. And then all of your administrative like business page connections are off of that personal page. And it's funny because even now, you know, 15 years later or so, uh, people are still not liking the fact that they have to connect their personal Facebook with business pages. I have clients all the time that freak out about that. So all of that being said, social media has become extremely common and it's evolved over the last decade in a big way. So branding has become really important, especially in your digital platforms, because how you're positioning yourself, it's not just about clever creative and your ad placements getting placed in the right way. There's a whole methodology for attracting clients, converting clients, closing them on the sale or the transaction. And then after you do all of that work, you have to make sure your clients are happy and you're delivering the services that they want and you're continuously interacting with them on that. And so we like to break things down in those four process chunks, like the, the client journey, the prospects journey. So when you're in the attracting phase, you're attracting strangers, people who have no clue who you are. And some of the strategies we use for that are blogging on your website and then sharing those blog links out on different social media channels. SEO plays a big part in that, the back end of your website, having the right keywords that are there to attract the right searches. Podcasting, what I'm doing right now, this is a huge way to boost your SEO. If you don't have a podcast that you're doing or a YouTube video channel that you're doing video on, all of these communication channels, whatever form that you decide to use or format you decide to take, they are all part of this attraction strategy. So you may hear this podcast and you may get some value out of it. And then you might go on my website and click around and look at other blogs or look at examples of our work. Uh, you don't know, you might Google my name and see any media that I've done or other podcasts that I've been a guest on. Uh, so there's just the sky's the limit when people are looking to hire someone they're pretty intentional and what I've experienced in the last decade is 
people are either interviewing you and vetting you out to see if maybe you'd be the right fit and they're probably calling five or six other people who do the same thing as you or they already know they want to hire you and they just want to make sure they're making the right decision by talking with you. I found that it really isn't another, there's not really another thing that happens on those calls. And so typically I'll know if somebody's ready to move forward. Uh, the budget and all those other considerations don't really have as much to do with it. It's just whether they're ready because a lot of times they've already done their homework on the industry averages of what things cost for them to, to pay for your services and things like that. So in the attraction phase, you're just kind of doing a little cocktail party networking type thing, but on these digital platforms where you're sharing your knowledge. Once you have strangers finding out about you, then they become the visitors. So that's where I talked about clicking on my website, clicking on my other social media channels, seeing what kind of things I post about, what kind of content am I sharing. Those are visitors to all the channels that I'm on. And you want those visitors to convert. So you may have specific sales landing pages or forms to fill out to learn more, maybe free downloads. You're converting them. You're getting them to do some kind of an action, but that doesn't mean they're a client yet. So you want those visitors to become leads. You want those leads to purchase something. So along this entire journey, the landing pages, the blog, the social media postings, uh, then you get into leads where they're signing up for your email list. And then you have different workflows and email flows. Your CRM system is where you're tracking all those things. And then your customers, people that are 100% sold on you, that's where your surveys and your content that's more advanced to those people that are already working with you. And monitoring social media, listening on social media, making sure that the things that people are talking about, uh, you're, you're aware of it, like what trends are happening in your world and are you sharing your insight on those trends and hot topics that are popping up online. So it's a key to be constantly seeing what's going on in your industry, who's talking about what and ways that you can capitalize on that through all of these different uh, phases that clients walk through or potential clients. And then once you make them so happy that they love everything they're doing with you, they become promoters or brand ambassadors or people who just can't recommend you enough. And I see this whole thing with every single client we work with. We can see when new people are starting to click, new people come into their ecosystem, which we, we build brand ecosystems at Kayla Marie Consulting. And that's what we, that's the terminology that we use. Um, because it is. So when we see new people coming in brand ecosystems online, we'll start seeing the same person liking 20 different things on Instagram in a row. I see it with all of our clients who we manage social media for. I see it for myself. I'll, I'll have a new person liking a tweet or retweeting it that I've never seen before interacting with my content. And then they start going down the line, liking all my tweets. And then I see a, you know, a bump in traffic. So not to beat this topic to death, every single part of that flow, you're going to want to understand how they're seeing your brand and where and making sure that every message and every piece of content is you and it's coming across in a way that you want it to come across. Because I mean, if you think about a brand like McDonald's, if you look at them online, you go to get a McDonald's drive through 
they look the same everywhere. And it may seem simple to just put everything yellow and red with a big McDonald's emblem on it, but they've thought through it. And internationally, they've thought through it. Where are they showing up? How are their commercials showing up? Where are they? Et cetera, et cetera. So this is why a brand is so important. And especially with the internet today, it is really huge because never before did we have an opportunity as small business owners to be equal to a big business. In the past, if you think about it, before the internet, people were buying radio spots, expensive. They were putting up billboards, expensive. They were doing commercials on television, regular weekly television programs, or they were doing the million dollar Super Bowl ad. Expensive, expensive, expensive across the board. And small businesses were pretty much doing, I remember growing up, my father, he would do door hangers. He would walk around to different businesses, hang up a little door knob hanger and with his information on. He would cold call leads. He would, he would put his ad in the yellow pages. He would go to uh, networking meetings. I remember he went to a BNI meeting before. I mean, he didn't go to the, as much as he did other things, but being a member of the chamber, he had ads running in all the local newspapers. And really, before the internet, that's the only option that you really had. Now you still have all those options, but you also have all this digital real estate that you can promote yourself on. And the majority of it is free, the organic traffic. Now we know organic traffic has gotten shrunken now, but still, if you're out there and you're meeting someone in person and they can search you online and find your Facebook page for free, how easy is that? I've even met people who don't even have a website anymore. They just have a Facebook page, but that's a whole nother, a whole nother story. <laughs> One example that I wanted to talk about a little bit is Southwest Airlines. So for a big brand, you can kind of think about all the things I talked about, the different channels that you are found on and how you are interacting with people. Southwest Airlines has kind of been known as less expensive, convenient. You don't have to get a specific seat. You just book a flight. And you get in, I mean, they've streamlined things significantly since the beginning days. But I remember when they didn't have the numbered, you know, thing, you just got a seat, you showed up, and then you got in line. And whoever gets there first gets their pick of the seats. Now they have, you know, the one through 10 or ABC or whatever they do. But a lot of times, they were not offering, not a lot of times, they've never offered these fancy meals or extra stuff. And, and back, you know, if you, it was funny, I was watching Seinfeld reruns recently um, on Hulu streaming and they were showing them on a flight. And I thought, wow, flying has changed so much. So it wasn't the norm back then to just get a bare bones flight somewhere. It always had like these little meals that you could eat and little extras throughout the thing, but you're, we're paying, you know, a price for your ticket on here. They, you know, Southwest turned everything, I mean, they were able to because they were strategic with how they purchased their gas or their jet fuel or I don't even know what it's called, but it's the fuel for the airplanes. They were creative in how they purchased their fuel. So they were able to contain the, uh, keep the pricing of the tickets lower. But part of what they did to kind of be a little bit different is they would put funny slogans on their little packets of peanuts and they didn't offer any frills. It was just a very basic service. So their brand reputation, they like to be a little nuts. They did the whole peanut thing. And then the flight attendants will sing sometimes. They'll talk about 
all kind. I mean, even their advertisements are a little bit out there and they love that there's, you know, headquarters is at Dallas's love field. So they're, they're all about love and fun and being a little bit wacky, but you don't get any extras. You, you get a cheap flight and a fun experience, but their visual design has always been pretty consistent. Even when they rebranded a little bit with their logo, they kept their color, their fonts, and all of those things pretty consistent. So it's always easy to spot uh, Southwest Airlines. They use an orange color, very recognizable. So when you're creating your brand strategy, all those things that are swirling in your mind about what you want your business to look like and what you want to do for your clients, you often will go straight towards the physical brand thought. A lot of people who are not in a brick and mortar store, it's like you have to create that environment online in a way. So your website really becomes your brick and mortar. So when you walk into a little shop or something in real life and you go in and all the colors and the way they've set up the storefront, it's all has an impact on how you shop. Walmart has a very different feeling than Target, but they both carry inexpensive products that you could use every day at home. And but they're definitely aiming for a different clientele. So if you think it about it like that, when you're putting your brand out online, the brand consistency becomes really, really important. And obviously Target and Walmart have brand consistency throughout their stores. But for a small business, you're trying to have brand consistency online because that's what's going to make people recognize you if they run into you online 15 different ways. So some basic elements you want to make sure are consistent, obviously your website, your blog, which would typically be housed on your website. Don't make it look so different that people aren't going to recognize that it's you. There were in, you know, I want to say 10 years ago, maybe eight years ago, I saw a lot of people trying to create a whole separate website for their blog and name it something cute and catchy and basically have the blog be its own identity. And I've seen that morph back to where now it's all underneath the same website, which is just a lot better. We've learned that we don't want traffic to go off of our website where they can purchase, where people can purchase or convert or download something. So keep that in mind. Your email, your online emails should look just like your website. So everybody who gets an email from you goes, oh, I remember that company. I remember signing up for this. I was just on their website. It's just obvious that it's you. And it's going to feel incredibly redundant for you as the creator of all these materials, but it's worth it to be redundant, especially in digital marketing. Social media, same thing. Are your cover images reflective of your website presence? There are so many people who use Canva now. Canva is fantastic. It's very inexpensive. However, if you don't understand how to integrate your brand elements onto every single piece of content, in a way that reflects your whole ecosystem, it's going to look disjointed. And I see a lot of times with small businesses, they'll figure out how to use Canva, they'll pick out some colors, but then every single posting has a different font. Or they're trying to be consistent, so they only use one type of design for all their posts. And so I've seen people use a white background with their logo and a quote, and that's it. And they just stick with that formula. And what happens over time, as you probably already experienced, is you don't find any value in what they're sharing because you feel like you've seen everything already. And they're just copy-pasting quotes from other people What about what they believe about a subject. And that's why 
now as the internet's been around for some time and it's been, it's a household thing. Everyone has a computer, everyone pretty much has a Facebook. And um, it's important to realize these customers, the future customers, these strangers, they all are comparing you to what they're already seeing online. And so, uh, I mean, obviously they're going to know you're a small business versus a large business, but it is nice when you go online and you see a small business and everything matches up and you're like, wow, they just really have it together and their products are quality. Their online presence is uh, cohesive and they, they seem to have everything in line. So any platform you're on too, and don't forget about if you're on a podcasting platform, making sure all of your design elements match up on there. Maybe you're using Patreon or your YouTube channels. Like think of every single touch point and make sure it looks consistent. And that's why we start with a lot of the, a lot of our clients, we start out with just they're a mood board. So they can take a look at different elements like patterns, colors, shapes that we will use throughout. And then the fonts that we'll use throughout. And we try to pick three. I I get a little bit squirrely when people go more than three fonts and more than five colors. It really gets watered down and it's very confusing. And the way that you use colors should really be strategic as well. I We had one client who was a nonprofit. Um, I guess not really a nonprofit as much as, I mean, they were set up as a nonprofit, but they are really a coalition or a, a group of people that came together under this one umbrella to advocate for this one industry. And within that industry, there were four main pillars that they focused on. So we created a brand for them that had four colors. And every single time we talked about one of the pillars on the website, that color was used. So everybody knew that this topic was this color. And in your mind, it's a subconscious connection. But that way, when they did their social media postings, they could have a purple background or an orange background, and that meant a different thing. So from a user standpoint, they would always see that logo in the corner of the design, but they wouldn't forget that it belonged to this family of, family of, um, they would always see the logo in the bottom corner of each design, but they would know that it was that overarching umbrella organization that was housing these four concepts. And that made it very simple for us to create other collateral for them, including their presentations, you know, business cards, all of that, because each person um, that was part of the organization, they were able to be branded in that specific way, if that makes sense. So each individual business card could have a different core color, depending on what part of the pillar that that individual was from. Some other things to talk about with brands, um, logo and colors we talked about a little bit. Tone and voice are huge. So we have, it's either me, on uh, Ellie on my team, or we also have some partners who are incredible and, and they do a deep, deep dive on tone and voice. But you wanna understand what your brand should sound like online as well. Are you silly? Are you professional? Do you focus on academia? We actually have clients that fit all of those. Uh, we have legal clients who are very professional and very specific as far as the way their photographs are taken, the way their website colors are used, and that is carried over to all of their social media channel designs. And so that's another thing you want to think of. 
are you trying to be controversial on purpose? And how does that affect the way that you speak in all of your copy and all of your podcasts and videos? Some brands were built for controversy. There are individual brands, personalities, you know, when you think of a certain celebrity name, you're automatically going to get a feeling about that person. If I say the name Jay, uh, Jay Leno, you're going to get a different thought in your mind than if I say Jerry Seinfeld. They're both comedians, but they're different. And so your how your tone and your voices on, in all your collateral is going to be really crucial to setting you apart. And it doesn't mean you have to do something outrageous to be different. Your personality is going to be different from everyone else's personality because of the fact you're a human being. And we're all different. So you don't have to go crazy to do some kitschy or outlandish, whatever thing. You don't have to have a shtick. You can just be yourself and make sure that your brand voice is communicated to your team. So when they're writing for you or they're doing anything, even if you're just writing ad copy or email copy, that overall brand voice comes into all those materials. And it also affects who you partner with. Your brand voice will also affect sometimes who you want to partner with. And there may be opportunities to partner with somebody that just doesn't align with the way that you want to be presented online. And that's okay too. But when you have your brand documented, planned out, and strategically thought through, those decisions become very easy. And you really don't have to feel bad about it because you've already presented yourself online in a specific way. Imagery is huge. Imagery is very huge. And you need to make sure that your images are consistent, especially with the availability of stock imagery. So if you are hiring a photographer, I highly recommend that you get their portfolio from them and you make sure that if anytime you need updated images, you use the same photographer or you find one, let's say your favorite photographer moves or maybe you move away from them and you need new images done because maybe you dyed your hair a different color or you lost a lot of weight or you just want to rebrand and you want a whole different color scheme, you need new outfits, whatever the reason, there's a million reasons to get new photos done. You want to pick a person who can echo the same look and feel. There has been time there. I can give you examples in my own experience of people that we've done photo shoots for, and then they wanted to get a new set of photos done, but that photographer wasn't available for whatever reason. And they got new photos done. And when we when I looked at the final product, it didn't look like their brand at all. Even if you give the photographer an example, sometimes they'll say, oh yeah, I can match that. And then they really don't know how the photos were edited in post-production, so they don't come out looking the same. So what I would do is ask them for the portfolio of all the clients, show them what your inspiration is, find images online, even if they are stock that you love and say, okay, I want all my images to be light and bright. And like right now it's very trendy, modern to have light, bright images. Some photographers call that being blown out. But if you love that look, I mean, I have a photographer that I love and she takes images just like that. She is kind of like a photojournalism kind of person. She wants you actively doing something. She just takes pictures of you while you're working, while you're doing whatever. She's not big on posing people. And I like that. I like that look. I like the brightness of the look. I think that if something is well lit, it's much cleaner. But for one of our clients, she likes a darker look and she likes darker lighting with certain parts of the photograph highlighted. It's very deliberate uh, 
there's really no wrong answer. It's just a decision that you have to make. And that'll depend on, again, who you're serving and your personality and your company's personality as a whole. Domain names. These are often overlooked details about domain names. Think about how you want people to find you and think about making it really easy for them to find you. <laughs> because I'll tell you something, I have seen some very long URLs and I know it's getting flooded now because so many people have bought URLs nowadays. There's just an endless supply of, um, what are those things called? Extensions. <laughs> There's an endless supply of these domain extensions now. You can do .club and .info, .co, .whatever. And they're adding more and more every single year. It gets really muddy. So if you have a domain name, you don't want a super long business name .com if it doesn't make any sense. You may want to try one of the extensions. The shorter, the better. And integrating it into your business is crucial so that people have a very quick way to get to you. I actually had a client recommend to me to buy INeedKaylin.com because she always says to me, anytime I'm struggling, I need INeedKaylin.com. And I purchased it. I don't even know what I'm going to do with it right now, but I thought it was clever. And I thought, hmm, maybe that's the web URL that people need to use to request a design update or a new design work or or whatever project that they want me to work on. So be creative, but make it simple and memorable and make sure it makes sense. So for example, I have clients who have a certain business name. There's actually a real estate agency right now that we're talking to. She has a gorgeous website and the name of her business is perfect, but her domain name is not the same as her actual business name. So every time I go to search her her website, I'm typing in her, her website name and I remember it, but then I forget the real name of her actual business, what she's filed as a DBA in, in the state. So don't confuse people. Just get, if you have a certain URL, make everything consistent. The same thing with branded links, social media channels, you can name them now, facebook.com slash whatever. And if you're going to change, then do so in a smart way. So I, we are going to be changing our URLs and I am actually going to be renaming my business a little bit. It's going to be mostly the same, but instead of saying consulting, we're going to switch that word out with something else. So I'm in the process of putting together a plan to move those names, rename all my stuff and make sure that nobody's using it. And then putting out a series of social media postings that tell people, Hey, we've changed. Here's our new name, X, Y, Z. And that way, Anything that they click on will still go to me, but it will just have a different name on the bottom. So I just want you to, you can change it. I just encourage you to think through that. But if you want to change it, you can just do it in a way that's kind of smart and has a flow to it. So people aren't totally confused. Mine is such a, a minor change that it probably won't be too bad, but I've seen people completely change the name of their business and, and just kind of do it. And then you go to click on something and there's a error message on the URL or you can't find what you're looking for. So building out your web design, we talked about that a little bit. Content creation, same thing. We talked about that. And yep, I just as I thought, I'm looking at the clock. I don't have enough time to jump into all this, but I definitely want to talk about value proposition just for a second. So when you're doing your branding, all the design work in the world 
is going to be amplified even more if you figure out your value proposition first. So really what you have to do before you do any of the design work and any of the choices that you're making on fonts and colors and, and any patterns or whatever it is, definitely sit down and get a deep understanding of who your customers are, understand their needs and goals, and position yourself in a way that makes you best qualified to meet their needs. So if you are building out your website and it has all the elements that you love, but it's very confusing for your customer to get the information that they want to get out of it really quickly, and you're not communicating your value really quickly, you're going to get people that bounce right off your site within a few seconds. So are you selling more leads? You know, are you selling increased conversion rates of those leads for a marketing company? Are you selling increased traffic to somebody's website? Are you selling a better way to do something? You have to convince your customers because right now it's a three second, three seconds to explain to somebody what you do. And that's why you're seeing a lot of the newer web designs with large, large text that only says a couple of words and big images, big video. So think about those things. If you are struggling with buyer personas, which is also known as client avatars and figuring out your ideal client, those all are the same thing. Feel free to schedule a call with us. Honestly, it's better to do it with somebody than, than not. Uh, but maybe we'll have to start off a part two on this podcast and finish up with how to actually put things into play and learning how to personalize some of these touch points a little bit more on our next podcast. So thank you so much for listening. This has been a podcast about building a solid brand for 2021 and beyond. Thank you so much. And we will talk to you soon.